Hello, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. glad to be here. Thanks. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you around sort of your understanding of the ocean economy um, and how maybe entrepreneur-led innovation can play a role for changing the ocean economy for good. And so before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what keeps you busy, what keeps you up at night, what gets you out of bed, um, and anything else that you think we need to know about you? Well, thank you so much. I think when you say ocean and I close my eyes, the first thing that comes to mind is my daughter, mm -hmm. which by default uh, means that I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe one of the first things. Um, I have two kids. I live in Cape Town. I have been an entrepreneur since I was 23 when I started my first business, which was a backpackers hostel. Um, I am an avid traveler. And after being in travel for many, many years, I sold my business uh, last December. And yeah, I, I'm currently working at Airbnb at the uh, Entrepreneurship Academy. And um, yeah, I think the ocean economy, I'm really excited to speak to you about that today. Mm. Being a Cape Tonian, having grown up uh, you know, close to the ocean, I think it's something that's very dear to me. And it's really something that has always been constant and defines one. Mm. And it certainly has defined my personality in so many ways. And I can see how it's having an impact on my own kids as well. Great. And so, I mean, what is your current relationship with the ocean? My current relationship with the ocean is one of great respect. So I, living in Cape Town, I'm with my daughter and my son in the ocean really often. We go surfing, we enjoy kind of the beach lifestyle. Um, but really, I'm so conscious of how communities interact with the ocean. Mm -hmm. So as an example, as a child, I grew up going to a seaside village in Arniston mm -hmm. um, over weekends or Varnheskrans. And that's where I learned how to snorkel, how to look for an octopus, how to... Um, you know, take mussels, um, how to look for abalone while it, when it was still legal. Mm. And um, and harvesting uh, fresh food from the ocean was something we did together as a family. Obviously, just the four of us um, being in nature. And that's really changed um, over time. Um, so not only our enjoyment of rock pools, which used to be bursting full of color, mm. which are now sort of empty and, and except for the oysters, there's nothing left. So if you look at the seaside villages, and I'll take Arniston as an example. Um, we used to go down to the harbor and see the boats come in and they'd be full of fish and full of the, the sort of local uh, fishers bringing in their, in their food and we would, um, you know, take 10 rand or, or 100 rand, I can't remember how much, and go and buy a fish and support. And now that culture is almost gone. I mean, my kids have never experienced that because whenever we're there, the boats aren't going out mm. because they just aren't fish. And the knock-on effect on the community is, of course, poverty that wasn't there before, which leads to crime mm. in, the, in the area, which has an effect on tourism. Mm. And so the ocean affects all of us in ways that we sometimes can't um, imagine and sometimes we look at crime and we say oh this is terrible you know the the government should be doing something about crime but whereas it's it's a it's a way of survival because there's no more fish mm. and because that whole industry has dried up in an example yeah. in one little town and that is my my lived experience i think being um 
a mother has changed my consciousness a lot. Um, I was very fortunate to be a mom and a business person. And so I feel like as entrepreneurs, we have the luxury of ingraining our own beliefs into our businesses. Mm -hmm. And so in once in Cape Town, which was my hotel business, um, we tried to source everything as ethically as possible. As We were fair trade accredited, which means um, every purchase had a consideration and that mm. included uh, what was the environmental um, impact and so if i think about it um i'm whether it's choosing uh not to use single-use plastics which is ironic because i actually picked up a bottle on the way here and i was running and i came and i said i can't believe i'm arriving <laughs> with a single-use plastic <laughs> bottle of water this is horrendous but to but if one has the choice mm. um i'm I try and be conscious about having a reusable water bottle. Um, if I have, if I'm buying things in bulk, um, not to have throwaway shampoo bottles, mm. rather use refillable glass, for example. Mm. And so my relationship with the ocean is uh, indirect, but it is a huge consideration when I have purchasing power. Mm. Um, and lastly, I think as a community, I've always tried to teach my kids how to say no to plastic straws because of the turtles or if there was a noodle spill like we'll be the first on the beach to go and bring our sieves and find mm. noodles noodles are those little plastic um pellets that that um plastic manufacturers use to make plastic and, and quite nice. recently there have been a few spills and so what happens is that tons of noodles arrive on the ocean and um and i'm not gonna pick up all the noodles i'm conscious of that yes. but but really showing my kids and participating and showing that we're all connected and that if there's a if we're choosing you know just to quickly buy a water bottle that water bottle is driving demand for plastic manufacturers who are having to bring these noodles in from china mm. and sometimes uh, they lose a container and then they end up on our beaches mm. so i think it's all about the ecosystem and and realizing the indirect correlation and that every person doing business is, is you know there's a connection to the ocean absolutely so i think it's it's important to kind of touch on some of your experiences um in terms of what you've done with your career because that also informs where we're going in this conversation around perhaps the certain sectors that can be impacted by you know the ocean economy and sectors that will impact on the ocean economy and so can you give us a sense of for example what the Airbnb Entrepreneurship Academy is, and then we'll move into, you know, the other stuff around the sector and again, deeper into the economy. So, I mean, the I really feel like I found my home and um, the Airbnb Entrepreneurship Academy is uh, a means of bringing Airbnb to a, a variety of different areas, mainly rural and township mm -hmm. communities. And what that means is, um, there's such richness in South Africa in, of tourism product that mm. is not only um, sort of you know, in, in, in places that you would see on um, top 10 lists. Mm. And, and we have got such a richness. And so the academy really goes out to areas that, that are interesting, maybe a little bit off the grid, mm. a little bit um, sort of lesser known. And we activate uh, boot camps and basically um show 
people who are interested how to list on the platform, how to create their own mm. um, experience or home and how to be successful uh, as a tourism entrepreneur. Yeah, and that's interesting for me because I think when we think about the ocean economy, we start immediately thinking about fishing, shipping, um, things that are sort of these massive industries that take place in or on the water. And yet I think there's this a very interesting interplay that exists between the tourism sector and the ocean economy. Is that true in terms of is it interesting? And if so, what is that interplay in your mind? Absolutely. You, we, we tend to think in silos. Mm. And, and I was quite surprised when you invited me onto this podcast. I was like, I'm not an ocean activist. I know incredible people who are doing incredible things. I'm not a scientist. And the more I reflected and the more I thought about it, I started seeing the correlation. Mm. And I'll share some of my uh, experiences. So first of all, as a tourism entrepreneur for many years, mm. tourism in Cape Town is seasonal. Mm. And that's mainly got to do with the weather, uh, as in sunshine, and mm. the waves. Mm. And so we get, we, we get surfers and, and um, kite boarders at certain times of the year. And we get sort of holiday makers and, and people who come to Cape Town to visit the beaches. Mm. And so in that regard, there is an inextricable link between tourism and the ocean mm. and as another example when people come to Cape Town we used to often send them on experiences and a lot of these experiences are ocean-based so mm. for example learning to surf or shark cage diving which sounds sort of controversial mm. but again as a business owner we worked with a company called Marine Dynamics who had a marine biologist on every um, on every yeah, boat. Every outing, yes. And so most of the data that was collected on sharks and most of the knowledge we have on sharks is actually from years and years of data collection from that company mm. and, and many similar ones. And so in promoting an experience in Khan's Bay, I have the choice as a business person, like, do I do my due diligence and do I get the certification and find out if there really is a marine biologist mm. or do I just send it to the cheapest person? Mm. Similarly, um, when, when, when we send people surfing, you know, are, we, um, are the operators conscious of the power of the ocean? Mm. You know, obviously from a safety point of view, but also from just a, um, an ecological point of view. Um, what, is, what is the ethos really? Mm. And so tourism and the ocean is inextricably linked. And then, as I mentioned before, our choices as consumers um, are directly linked to the pollution that's happening mm. in the oceans. So I'll give you an example. A very good friend of mine, I mean, dinners at our house are hilarious because our one friend is a very, very, um, sorry, sort of highly regarded uh, scientist who's got like Greta Thunberg on, on speed dial. Right. And the other one is, is, is makes or manufactures plastic and one of the biggest plastic manufacturers in South Africa. Mm. And of course I'm in the middle and I'm <laughs> like, Oh, this is going to get juicy. This is you a know? perfect dinner party sort I'm of like, lineup. <laughs> exactly. Let's just drop a bomb in there. So like how many tons of plastic bottles did you produce this year? You know? And then I just watch and, um, and it is, I mean, I, I will say that both are, are charming and, and, and very, very like respectful humans. So it always ends up well, but 
At the end of the day, my friend who owns the plastic uh, manufacturing plant says to me, Kim, our business is driven by consumer demand, nothing else. Mm. And so, because I've challenged them and I've said in South Africa, our bottles are so thick. And so in, in, in Europe, they're like yes, crunchy and yes. thin. And he said they're almost twice as thick in South Africa because the consumer will not buy thin, crunchy bottles, um, even though it's maybe, I don't know, five cents cheaper. And so at the end of the day, if they're not going to manufacture it, someone else, else will, will. Right. And so, and so that for me is how business and the ocean is connected, is that if we want to uh, pull back on the pollution and if we want to pull back on the, on the devastation to the ocean creatures, it starts at home, mm. really. And I'm, in this lifetime, I'm not a policymaker, um, but I, I do have control over my own household, mm. what we consume, how much we can reuse, and then finally, if we can't reduce or reuse, how much can we recycle? Mm. So as a consumer, we have the choice or the power to say, First of all, I'm going to reduce the amount of plastic I buy yeah. as much as possible. I'm going to try and reuse as much as, as possible. And if those are not possible, then I will recycle. Mm. And that's the power that I have in my own house uh, with my children and with my business mm. and the people around me. And that is powerful in terms of remembering that whilst these conversations can feel so big, um, it is down to individual actions and the power of the individual whilst at the same time understanding that our individual choices can then challenge the big things. Um, and so, you know, within the Branson Center, we, we really believe in this idea that business is a force for good. Um, and so with that belief, we've gone into this Ocean Innovation Challenge to see, to discover and see if maybe what solutions exist out there that are driven and created by entrepreneurs. And from those solutions, what innovation might we discover and what lies out there? And so from your point of view, having been an entrepreneur, a tourism entrepreneur, and understanding now that there is this link between your activities and the ocean and the ocean economy, what role do you think entrepreneurs have to play in driving innovation towards a sustainable ocean economy? I've met so many incredible entrepreneurs who are working in the ocean economy and I believe that a rise in food demand and, and an increase, a, a big increase in capitalism over the last like three, four decades has resulted in, in the ocean catastrophe we're in now. And similarly, as much as that trend grew, as much as, um, as, much as the ocean was harvested to to feed humans because 30, 40 years ago, hunger was the biggest mm. sort of issue on earth. As much as consumerism grew to a point where we could afford anything we wanted, which is which was the dream. Similarly, entrepreneurs and and ocean and and entrepreneurs who specifically um, innovating in the ocean must start a trend mm. where they are elevated to be like the next best thing. Yeah, the, the rock thing, stars. Exactly. The thing that like our kids, you know, aspire to be um, because the innovations are brilliant. I mean, for example, Abalobi, mm. which is um, a South African based app that's now used globally, is a marketplace for fishers. 
to sell their product and for consumers to buy mm. and to be sure that what they're buying is actually the fish that is not red listed mm. and that is actually sustainably um, sought after. So that that innovation is tech based, but it's brilliant mm. and it's aspirational and and for people who are in flux, for people who are coming out of university, for people, you know, if you're an actuarial scientist who's decided to give up your day job or or like me, um, you know, sell your business and you're looking for something new, it's an aspiration. And, and I believe that the wave is starting. Mm. Excuse the pun. The blue wave. The blue yes, wave. No, we're all about the puns. <laughs> <laughs> the blue wave is starting and, and I see the very few brave uh, ocean innovation entrepreneurs as aspirational. And I think that's their role right now. Because if they were enough and if the solutions were, were, were enough, we would be seeing change already, mm, which mm. we're not. But I believe that that wave is gaining momentum. And so um, I see them as trendsetters. Absolutely. What change would you like to see as we start rethinking a sustainable ocean economy? What would you like to see, both as a mother, as an entrepreneur, as a consumer? Well, those are three things, not even both three things. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the thing that COVID taught everyone, and um, obviously it was, it was globally, it was a disaster, but there were so many gifts. And, and one of them was that we had to make do with what was close by and with supply chains coming to a stop and, and logistics, global logistics being an absolute disaster, I think people adapted to to cope with the fact that if you couldn't get uh, like Turkish figs in South Africa, you'd be okay. Mm. And if you couldn't get um, sort of Japanese sushi in South Africa, like you'd be fine. You'd be okay just just having what is what is locally uh, sourced. And so, I feel that the large scale fishing, even though it's not my industry at all, if I gave you the example of Arniston earlier. Mm. I hope that the consumer trend to to buy close by uh, would be more like more readily adopted, mm. and that the large, huge scale fishing slows down to a point where local communities can actually start harvesting mm. again, where where kids are get off their iPads and on get back into the ocean and actually learn how to scuba dive and learn how to how to um, fish. Um, yeah, I think that's my, that's my hope and it's probably very utopian, but really that we slow down on the consumerism because mm. it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, I think that communities look after their ocean, um, that, that ecosystems start working together, that cities as they're expanding start working closer together with the ocean economy, um, I mean, living in Cape Town, I don't know how many times you, I get to the beach and there's a sign saying, like, it's not safe to swim because of effluent waste. Mm. And I think, like, the year is 2022. Like, how is there still effluent waste anywhere close to the ocean? I don't get it. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it would be probably remiss not to touch on the inclusion aspect of when we think about our relationship with the ocean, right? Mm. Because I think um, 
a lot of times when we describe and articulate our activities, our relationship with the ocean, how we engage with it, how we participate in and around the ocean, um, much of that can come off as probably quite, quite elite in terms of being able to have a holiday home that gives you access to a rock pool in a lovely seaside village, you know. So how can we get to a point where when we are talking about the ocean economy, we're talking about an inclusive ocean economy? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think that privilege is definitely a very um, key, you know, key driver in this conversation. And I, I absolutely come from a, a history and a place of, of white privilege, and I'm very aware of that. Um, but yeah, I think that school curriculum should include ocean education. Mm. And I don't say that as a, as a sort of wishy-washy dream. Um, when I was touring around Australia um, on a marketing trip for my backpackers hostel, mm. um, I was learning to surf. And I'm not a strong swimmer. I'm, a, I'm actually a very poor swimmer. And um, those few weeks of being in a really feral, old, clapped out car um, and, and learning how to surf, which I'll, which I'll share just now as well, um, really taught me a lot about confidence, taught me about um, how, to, how to have humility and respect for something that's greater than myself, mm -hmm. how to overcome my fear, how to keep persevering. And, um, and I think that those skills are useful for children as well. Mm. And on that... I think for all humans. <laughs> well, yes. Well, I think that if we can learn that from a young mm. age, right? If we can learn to be okay by myself in an ocean, which is terrifying, mm. and waves crap, like rising up and crashing onto you. And in that moment, you're on the edge of like, for example, when surfing, as that wave is rising, you're like, I'm either going to get dumped or I'm going to have the ride of my life. Mm. And that's kind of like life in general, right? It sounds like the entrepreneurial journey. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like an ordinary like month end, yes. right? <laughs> and so I believe that the ocean is a teacher and, and children benefit when they have that young. And so when I was touring Australia, I remember we, were, we stopped off in a little place called Yamba and we met a guy in a bar who was a geography teacher. And we were like a geography teacher. He said, yeah, like my curriculum with these Aussie kids, every Wednesday they're in the ocean and they're learning life skills, they're learning geography, they're learning um, about the tides and the wind and, um, and the current and all these kind of things, and they're doing sport. Mm. So, they, so it's like a multidisciplinary ocean day and mm. it's like every Wednesday. And, um, and it's not only, if you look geographically, in, for example, in a place like Cape Town, Yes, you have elite suburbs, um, you know, like Camps Bay or whatever. But if you look at uh, Musenberg as an example, mm. which is a fantastic beach, it's close to Mitchell's Plain. It's close to um, Philippi. There's, there's loads of communities that, that range across um, the spectrum. Mm. And, and I feel like it's such a missed opportunity because getting kids confident in the water or at least just having exposure to nature and understanding the correlation between, between, for example, single-use plastic and the ocean mm. and animal life and economies is invaluable. 
So I absolutely agree that making the ocean more inclusive is key. And we need more advocates. We mm. need more advocates to be to be promoting that. Yeah, and I think it's it's getting to a point where how do we each understand our ability to then be an advocate for this, right? And so, you know, being able to work and partner with entrepreneurs as the Branson Center who are innovating in this space means that you're creating another version of advocates because they're coming now from a place of, let's say, economic well-being, societal well-being alongside, you know, ocean health and making sure that we're actually advocating for this interlinkedness that exists. And so hopefully that will drive us towards an inclusive and sustainable ocean economy. So thank you for your time, Kim. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I can't wait to see perhaps what your next business will be because I know there's probably another business sitting in you. And I can't wait to see how you enable other entrepreneurs in your journey for the next little chapter as well. So thank you so much for your time and I look forward to having you back in the studio. Thank you so much. Priya, I need to get Yes. So we got this clapper and it makes me so happy. And also helpful not to emphasize your point by banging on the desk. See, sorry. See, that's what happens. It goes into her ear. Sorry. I was demonstrating. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's been our most... Um, well, you know, with with chutzpah. With, yeah, with, with energy, with vibes. Yeah. Friday vibes. <laughs>